2: From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming up in about 30 minutes, Teresa Payton. We need her expertise. Former White House Chief Information Officer, CEO of a leading cybersecurity consultancy. we got to get her perspective on what happened with this pipeline and what other attacks are supposed to be out there. I was stunned to find out that pipelines that mean so much the whole east coast of the country are guided by outdated Microsoft software. I'm like, you kidding me? How could that be? What's the federal role in the punch list to decide if these companies, they want to make money? And I'm all for private industry, but they got to understand they have everything to do with national security, uh, that they're up and running. If you look at the lines in North Carolina in South Carolina, in Florida, in Virginia, you understand their cybersecurity that they didn't update is costing everybody a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of anxiety. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number
4: three.
5: Only
3: a quarter of vaccinated adults say they'd be willing to travel to a work conference or enter a gym. Only 24% of them would take the bus. Less than half would be willing to rent a car alone. Only 34% would go to a party. Just 17% of them would dare to take a cruise. I mean, we are freaked out as a country, COVID. Dr. Fauci is finally telling us to take the mask off outside, yet many Americans who have been vaccinated for COVID are more afraid of going out than non-vaccinated. What's going on with America? Why are we getting so many mixed messages from the CDC and the so-called experts?
6: Number two.
7: But I think we can get have a deal. And there are ways in which we can pay for this without just putting the entire burden on working class and middle class people.
6: And I think the first step is obviously to define what infrastructure is. And we all think all agreed to work on that uh, together.
3: Not bad, working together, kinda. Republicans and Democrats might be able to do a deal on infrastructure, but which party needs the deal more and get this. Now President Biden plans on building the wall. At the border. Want to know why uh, it worked?
5: Number one. Does it suddenly feel like the external world is turning on you guys? Or or that you suddenly are juggling a lot more crises? or, Or any concern about that? That's what we're made for here.
3: We'll find out what you're made of. Is he up for the challenge? And that is President Biden, of course. Multiple crises mounting 114 days into the Biden presidency. Got inflation, cyber hacks, gas shortages, southern border invasion, which they're ignoring. Rockets flying between Israel and Palestine. Uh, And I should say Hamas. Is Biden up for this challenge? We're about to find out. So far, no. I mean, I couldn't believe some of the comments he made. There should be an all-hands-on-deck Right now, effort to get the best cybersecurity companies in the world, let alone in the U.S., to start guarding what we label the most vital structures, private companies in our country. You know, we thought it was kind of cute, not really, but kind of cute, no big deal, when North Korea was upset that Sony was rolling out a movie that made the dear leader look bad. So they hacked in, exposed a bunch of emails, and embarrassed some executives. But in the big picture, I thought to myself, and perhaps you did too, wait a second, another country... Hacking into a private company in this country, is that something Washington should be concerned about? The answer should have been yes. And while I think private industry in Silicon Valley will always be better than the federal government when it comes to cybersecurity— I want the Pentagon to have the best stuff. I want the Pentagon with Silicon Valley, with the leading firms. And if there are friendly nations with better cybersecurity, my goodness, let's get them involved. And together, let's protect the things that matter most because computers are running all of our infrastructure. You take it down, you take out a satellite, you actually blow up a satellite, and you take down a uh, a computer that controls 45% of the whole, all the energy from diesel to jet fuel to gas and oil on the East Coast. My goodness, of course that involves everyone. And that private company is now public, and you their lax attention when it comes to cybersecurity is costing everyone peace of mind. And in the case of North Carolina, I think it's, what, 80% of the gas stations are out of gas? So are they up for all these challenges? First off on the pipeline, Joe Biden asked, listen to this response, cut one. What do you say to who Americans who are worried about the supply of gas and rising prices right now?
7: We have been in very, very close contact with Colonial Pipeline, which is the one area you're talking about where the one of the reasons the gasoline prices are going up. And I think you're gonna hear some good news in the next twenty four hours. And we And I think we'll be getting that under control.
3: Right. And then an hour later, I was able to host The Seven last night. By the time we had to rewrite the open, because by the time we went up, the pipeline's back online. But it's going to be delayed for quite a while, uh, definitely a week before we get everything up to snuff again. People panicked. They got online. Uh, They drained the oil and gas and diesel and trucks and They had to get the oil and put it on trucks, causing more traffic and anxiety, and people ran out, long lines. We thought it was 1974 again. So, 1976, I should say. So, you have to wonder, number one, what are we going to do to stop this? Why aren't we calling out the Russians? Because there's no way this dark site would be allowed to exist. We understand GRU, which is the intelligence arm of the Kremlin, is involved in this. and former workers are involved in this. And, of course, Russia knew about it. All logic points to that. So what are we going to do about it? This is an emergency. Listen to how President Biden plans on handling the emergency, answering questions that he was told not to,
7: why do I know that? Because he keeps telling us that he was told not to take questions. Cut to. I'd also point out that I think what this shows is that uh, I think we have to uh, make a greater investment in education as it relates to being able to train and graduate more people proficient in cybersecurity.
3: Good, thank you. Uh, That's great for a think tank at Aspen, and then I'll hop on the mountain and I'll ski a little bit and then uh, go and have some drinks tonight. But if I'm president of the United States, I'm not telling more people to take cybersecurity classes in night school instead of ballroom dancing. What I'm focusing on, if I'm president, is identifying the best cybersecurity companies in our country and around the world to work immediately with what we identify as infrastructure, where I've gotten the Secretary of Interior and Commerce and the Pentagon involved, and they're going to be meeting through the weekend to identify the next colonial pipeline would-be target. Does anybody listening to me right now not think that these dark sites are looking now at other things because this one was wildly successful? America's being attacked subtly from Iran through Hamas. America's being attacked from Russia, what we see with this pipeline. America is being attacked as China continues to uh, uh, poke and prod when we saw the last thing uh, broke through in Alaska. They are not stopping from here. And I don't like the tone coming out of the White House. We seem to be on the defensive. we got to get on the offensive. I want to hear that there was a cyber threat and a cyber attack in Russia, maybe we have a dark sight. maybe the lights blinked in Moscow, and they don't know how. so are they up for this challenge? So far, I have not seen it. They might be doing something behind the scenes. I do not know. Listen to what Jim Jordan says last night cut six
4: in a little over hundred days we went from a secure border to crisis we went from energy independence to lines at the pump, and now we've went from peace in the Middle East to hundreds of rockets fired by terrorists on our best ally. Actually, over 1,000 rockets being fired on our best ally, Israel. This is exactly what happens, as you said, when we project weakness from the Oval Office. It is not a good situation, but the American people see it for what it is, and that's why they're demanding change. And I think as we look ahead, Frankly, you're going to see the Republicans take back the House next year because of all the turmoil they see coming as a result of this administration's policies.
3: I hope so, because in North Carolina, 65 percent of the stations were out of gas Uh, in uh, Georgia. uh, In Georgia, 43 percent were out, the same as South Carolina and Virginia. The average gallon of gas is now at three dollars around the country. House, it was only it seemed like yesterday. It was a dollar seventy six or two ten. How does it go up so much? Perhaps has to do with inflation, which has not been in our vernacular really since Bush forty one was in the White House. He called it the Great Thief. That dollar that you have is now worth seventy five cents. Why is that? Because of inflation. Experts say it has everything to do with flooding the zone with dollars, dollars we haven't earned, dollars that are in our account, which now have goods that are going to be jacked up because we have more money to spend. That's the problem. Nobody says inflation's not an issue. Now, the question is, you can't deny it anymore. Because if you deny there's inflation, and I go to Home Depot and that dormer I'm going to put on, and I've, I wish I was handy, but I'm not, and I get my saw and I get my two by fours, and I realize everything is three times as much. You don't have, I don't need to watch. Uh, uh, primetime with Brian Kilmeade at 7 o'clock to get those stats. I went to Home Depot today or I went to Lowe's. I know it already. And then I went over to Stop and Shop. And I realized the groceries that cost me $210 are now $350. I don't need to find out what Larry Kudlow thinks. I don't need to know if the from my friend voted for Joe Biden or not. I already made my decision. Not going well. So what's some good news? Some good news is they had a long discussion in the White House. I believe that they need this deal, the White House. I believe that they know that Joe Manchin is not going to be signing up for getting the corporate rate up to 28 percent and doing human infrastructure instead of actual infrastructure in our country. I do know that we're in now in 2021. I do know in 1980 an infrastructure bill with solid bridges and tunnels. I do know broadband should be involved in that. I have no problem with different cyber activities being involved in that, trying to uh, get kids um, uh get kids in, in underprivileged communities uh, the type of uh, resources that they have in in uh, that upper that upper class area in your in your neighborhood. I get it. I will I'll, I'll give you that. That gets you to about 600 to 800 billion. The 2.4 trillion is the daycare and the universal uh, community college, which anyone can go to right now affordably. Uh, the pre, uh, pre-k for everybody. that stuff, it cannot be in this, which is why I believe that Joe Biden knows that. And in their two-hour conversation, it was hard to be cynical. Here is uh, Mitch McConnell, cut ten. And,
6: and I Kevin think the McCarthy. first step is obviously to define what infrastructure is, the, the definition of it. And we all think all agreed to work on that uh, together. We're not interested in reopening the 2017 tax bill. We both made that clear to the president. That's our red line. Well, not to negotiate here, but you won't find
3: any Republicans going to go raise taxes. I think that's the worst thing you can do in this economy when you watch inflation. Your gas is going up. Remember, gas price today, national gas price, has not been this high since President Biden was vice president. Which goes back to what I'm saying. I think he needs this deal. He knows it. So if he came out and said inflation's not high and gas isn't going up, we would just shrug our shoulders. I, I, I don't need spin. But Joe Biden... Well, said this today in an interview uh, said this last night in an interview, cut eight.
7: Well, look, um, there was a red line saying they wouldn't do anything on anything, quite frankly. Initially. Well, that was last week. Mitch McConnell said last week, yeah. he had 100 percent of Republican senators lined up against your infrastructure bill. I understand that. That's, but I think we can get have a deal. And there are ways in which we can pay for this without just putting the entire burden on working class and middle class people.
3: And he was talking about fees. And Lindsey Graham was saying that last night. He's like, listen, we could do this with fees. Uh, that's what uh, that's what the roads and bridges and uh, tunnels that uh, There's tolls on the outside and you pay a dollar twenty five at a time, whatever it is. And I understand that people will be paying that in all classes at all times. And it's easier for people with more money to pay four fifty to go across a bridge. I understand that. But if everyone's benefiting from it, that's just the way it's going to be. And uh, there might be certain things that they could do by closing loopholes and doing certain things. You know, if there's uh, uh, nobody listening to me right now feels bad for Amazon. Nobody listening to me right now feels bad for Staples or some of these major companies or Walmart. But I don't. I, I appreciate the number of people they hire. I appreciate the buildings that they rent or buy and build. I appreciate the materials they're able to collect and buy from other vendors in order for the economy to grow. I'm for them making a profit. But if they have to pay uh, more, well, not rates, but if we can close loopholes so they're paying more within the rate of the tax laws as they stand, I'm for that. And Republicans should not be going to bat for corporate America. But you should understand this. That when you have 35% corporate tax, what happens is people move their headquarters or their actual companies out of the country because Ireland's, I think, 18, because the Cayman Islands—that's uh, where they keep their money—which I got a huge problem with—and there's other countries, which would be the European Union then, and even China's at 25. That they're just going to move their corporations out of. So you might be saying, well, we should—we you know—we shouldn't uh, lower tax. We shouldn't raise. We should raise taxes on corporations, but just understand, they're going to move. We want to entice them to come back, bring their commerce and manufacturing here. That's the problem with raising the corporate tax. Uh, but then he's going to go for the individual tax and get it up from uh, 37 back to 39. We'll see where they give. I do believe something will get done. One eight six six 408 I'm going to take some calls. And then, Teresa Payton, one of the best in the business, to tell us about cybersecurity, how Washington works, how the private sector works, and how both shall meet. Don't move.
2: Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your
8: hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of.
2: A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade show. I just don't want to get into that tit for tat with him. (laughs) I I just don't understand what the problem is with
9: him. But well, just going to do my job, and he could do what he wants to do, and we'll see what happens.
3: So that is Dr. Fauci. For some reason, nobody—I what am I saying? For some reason, he was on CBS this morning. The whole problem is now with Dr. Fauci in particular is the fact that he doesn't turn on any interviews, all his lifestyle issues when it comes to masks and distancing. He's all over the place and affects everybody, and he gets softballs for uh, every single network, number two, and every podcast. The other big story is the origin of the virus and the role that the U.S. had through the grants and foundations that his organization may have done There was this whole— This whole way in which they were studying this virus that might have led to the leak on the Wuhan lab and why people are more curious. Why did they not follow up with Rand Paul's line of questioning? That's what I don't get. Name one person who doesn't want to know how this virus got here specifically, where it started, how it started and how it got here. There's nobody that knows that. And anyone who says they know, they don't know the answer to that. So Dr. Fauci was just on with Fox and Friends. Do we have the response? We do. So he was just on with Fox and Friends uh, at 8.30 Eastern time, and he responded to what Dr. Fauci said about him. Cut 21.
10: Well, if he was being interviewed by a journalist, they would have asked, did the NIH, did your specific division of the NIH give money to the Wuhan lab? That's incontrovertibly true. What he's arguing is he's parsing his words. He knows his group gave money. But he's saying, oh, it wasn't for juicing up these superviruses. We gave it for other research. It's sort of like the Planned Parenthood argument. Yes, we give taxpayer money to Planned Parenthood, but it's not for abortion. Dr. Fauci's arguing, yeah, we gave it, you know, the NIH and my group specifically gave it to the Wuhan lab, but they weren't supposed to be juicing up the viruses. Money is-
9: His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you're subscribed to the podcast, like,
4: subscribe, and share. Okay.
3: That's it. And he's right. If you talk to a journalist or somebody with curiosity, that's what I want to ask him. I have no idea. I've I've never seen anyone in my life at any walk of life, the biggest story, the, the the smallest story, get an easier time with the press and be more lauded for no reason than Anthony Fauci. And here's another thing that drives me nuts. He says to Gail King, and I'll play this in 15 minutes, when it comes to masks outside, you don't need them. Really? Don't need any masks outside if you're vaccinated, number one. Uh, do you realize if since kids... Such a low possibility of the kids getting it and suffering any after effects. That means they don't need to wear masks when they're in sports. Now, for the 18- and 19-year-olds who have been allowed to get inoculated, and my daughter has she plays soccer in college, uh, they're all done. No more masks. Okay? People just let them get away with this. The CDC is terrible. They're all over the place. I'm not sure the pressure put on them. I'm sure they're very smart, but they don't seem it. And they're affecting all of our lives. They love putting on restrictions. They hate taking off restrictions. Dr. Scott Gottlieb said we'll have no credibility if we need to put him back on, and he's right.
8: Fox Nation presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak.
3: I'm Shannon
1: Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
8: Defense is hard to play. There's a lot of work going on. During my four years, I saw multiple attempts from multiple actors to do precisely this kind of thing, including, John, as you hinted at. We, we saw them try to get into the operational side of our infrastructure as well. There was a lot going on. There's a lot of work that continues to need to be done. I regret that this happened. Uh, this this only shows us that the work that we've done has done a lot of good, but it's not nearly enough to make sure that we protect this critical infrastructure from these kind of economic ransomware attacks. It will be interesting to see where this actually emanated from.
3: Well, we know it came from Russia. We know it came from a dark, a group called the dark side in Russia. And we know that they say that they solicit affiliates to go do their dirty work. And there's no way we understand, according to intelligence experts in this current White House, the GRU, the intelligence arm of the Kremlin, was not aware of this at the very least. Teresa Payton joins us now, former White House Chief Information Officer and CEO of a leading cybersecurity consultancy, uh, Fort Lease Solutions. Uh, Teresa, welcome back.
0: Hey, Brian. It's always great to be with you. But next time, can you have me come when there's, like, good news to talk about? I
3: know. But this is, I mean, <laughs> substantial news. Did you know that our pipelines were so susceptible to a hack? And did you know that they'd be so successful in hurting us, especially the East Coast?
0: Well, this is definitely one of my worst nightmares that came true. Um, although I thought it would be an unscrupulous nation state versus a cyber criminal syndicate who says they're a for profit organization. Uh, And so it'll be interesting to see as we learn more uh, about this particular incident, how DarkSide knew about these vulnerabilities, how long they had been targeting Colonial. But, yes, there are chinks in the armor in our critical infrastructure, and a lot of heavy lifting has been done to improve the security of our critical infrastructure. But there's always so much more work to do.
3: But I understand this – not this company – uh, Colonial evidently was being guarded, if you can use that term for uh, cyber, but by outdated Microsoft software. Mm.
0: Well, and see, here's here's what happens is it is so expensive to stand up security tools and software. And if you think about you know critical infrastructure, the burden is on them. And so every dollar they spend on security is a dollar they have to figure out. Do I put that into, you know, kind of the bill payments that I pass along to the customer? They have to get rate permissions. So it's very complex, and it's this ongoing battle that requires ongoing investment. And you could see where the complexities of managing the pipeline and the systems and the calendar and the distribution, where something like this uh, needed to be updated, and it just wasn't.
3: But where else are we vulnerable? And being that if we can establish links to another country— we have to get on the offensive. I mean, I hate to say it, Teresa, but there's got to be a way to send the Russians a message.
0: There is. And, and so there, there's several things that need to happen here. And first of all, I would, I would like to see the Biden administration stand up a, an international task force and basically hammer out an international accord that says an attack against one of us From a cyber realm perspective is attack against all of us. And if it's not nation state and government and military driven, and it's a cyber criminal private enterprise, wink, wink. um, And if it is that, and you are harboring these criminals in your country then there will be ramifications for that. And that international court has to happen because right now, you know, we watched ransomware events hit hospitals over in Europe and we said, Oh gosh, too bad for them. And then the same happens to us. And, you know, I'm talking to people over in Europe and I said, yeah, I live in North Carolina and I've got kids that play travel sports. Guess what? Uh, I can't find gas to get ready for travel sports this weekend. So I, that thing of like, Oh, well that feels bad. We need to be standing up and having that conversation. The other thing is Brian, We've got some of the best and brightest minds in the world, in our country. We should be putting them towards solving for this problem, both on the proactive side, but also on sort of the rapid response side. I mean, what As if-
3: contractors, do we let them do their job and, and almost like volunteer firemen? We call them in in case of emergency. Do we contract them to, as consultants? Are most of the great cyber minds outside government?
0: Um, There are great people working in government, but there's also many people outside government, and they don't even have to be in cyber. I mean, if you think about what's going on, um, all of the innovations you see, whether it's Apple or whether it's, you know, non-fungible tokens and cryptocurrency, there's an incredible amount of innovation. What if we asked those innovative, creative minds, what would you do to create a digital dome of defense that – businesses and critical infrastructure could still be responsible for their own infrastructure but have another layer of protection. What would you do to build on-the-fly decryption keys so if somebody is a victim of a ransomware attack, they can call a rapid response line and get a key? This is one of the few areas of crime that, first of all, we blame the victim when you're a victim of the cybercrime. We say you didn't do enough. And then it's the other area where we just sort of leave you kind of out there to fend for
3: yourself. But, but, Teresa, I'm amazed, but this isn't 1988. We should I mean, they should be game planning this from day one. I mean, we have uh, Joe Biden says this yesterday when asked about our cyber defense cut to.
7: I'd also point out that I think what this shows is that uh, I think we have to uh, make a greater investment in education as it relates to being able to train and graduate more people proficient in cybersecurity.
3: Thanks. That'll take about 10 years of Zoom classes (laughs) because we're not allowed to go to school in person. So what is he talking about? That could be an element of it to incentivize people just like we needed people to to learn Farsi when we were fighting the war on terror full-time and we needed more people with Arabic language skills. But that's something for what about today? I mean, do you, after, we see, after they see what happened to this superpower with one hacking group in someone's basement, everything is now up for grabs. Uh, do people understand this is a five alarm fire in, in Washington?
0: I don't know if they do. Uh, oh. And I mean, we, we, we've had so many warning bells. You know, the tsunami warnings go off, right? So we had the Florida Water Treatment Plant. And we had a near-miss there where the chemicals could have been changed, but they weren't. We had in Australia, uh, several years ago, a hacker decided to dump sewage into uh, a city in Australia, and he actually did by hacking into a sewage treatment plant, a water treatment plant. We have had so many... Tsunami bells go off, and we just kind of go back and say, well, let's do some more frameworks, let's do some more audits, let's tell people to buy more tools. But really, we haven't put the creativity and innovation to sit down and look at everything through the eyes of the adversary. I mean, honestly, we should be getting Hollywood in to say – Design the worst disasters, and then how in the movie would you actually have a good guy solve for that? I mean, we really
2: need— See, I, see I, don't
3: think, I don't think Hollywood does. it. Silicon Valley does. And I think they understand. And since we invented the Internet and this whole cyber world that we're in, do we—have we really let people lap us? Do we, are we really not capable of doing the same thing to anybody, any time, in any nation?
0: Well, attribution is hard, and we do know that the Department of Defense has from time to time sent a warning strike over the bow digitally um, to nation, state, government, and military organizations, even reaching out individually to operators, telling them they know who they are and to step away from the keyboard. So we know we have the capability to do that. I know there tends to be hesitation because private sector infrastructure ends up being involved. And so that's where, you know, the, the lines start to get very blurry. Uh, and because we don't have those international accords like we do for, you know, ocean lanes, like we do for airspace, like we do for land, we need the same thing for cyber. And because we don't have that, you end up having this, well, we can't infringe upon the private sector. Uh, well, we can't invade people's privacy. And we have to find the right... Accords here; otherwise, the next bad event happens, mm-hmm. and suddenly, in the name of an emergency, you and I could lose our right to privacy. So, Teresa, and, because of a yeah, negative reaction,
3: right? I, I'll say this: that if you want to be a public company and and profit the way you do, there's got to be certain things that the government a checklist that the government goes over that they have to hit in order to be able to be the colonial pipeline of the East Coast to to be. But By the way, we heard a lot about how great pipelines are all of a sudden. What I find so sinister is this whole idea of ransomware. I'm going to take X company. I'm going to control your data and hold your data, stop your company, unless you give me X amount of dollars. And that's called ransomware. This just crossed. Babook Ransomware, is B-A-B-U-K, a group shares full 250 gigabytes of stolen data from Washington, D.C., Metro Police, including yes. the Gang Database, the police said they offered money, but it was too small of a ransom, so they let all the data out that just mm-hmm. crossed now. This
0: I, I've been calling ransomware since 2018 the carbon monoxide poisoning of the United States resiliency because it's silent, it's deadly to the operations. There these are the victims you know about, Brian. I've worked countless cases that never make the headlines, that don't have to be reported. Uh, and there are countless cases that I'm not aware of. And it's been a growing problem. And we have to stand up and say we will not stand for this. And the, the U.S. government needs to put the full force of, you know, the FBI behind figuring out what's going on here. Internet services providers, they're delivering the traffic. Um, you know, there, there has to be a team sport accountability here, to your point. Who are the regulators who reviewed Colonial Pipeline's security maturity roadmap and said, all good here, um, or did they point out deficiencies?
3: That's going to be something to be investigated. I, I'm full of being calm under pressure, but the lack of urgency on this whole thing from the Secretary of Energy to the President of the United States – I find nuts, especially when I'm watching people fight, uh, having fisticuffs in North Carolina because they both ran out of gas on the line and they were getting on each other's nerves. When I see that North Carolina, South Carolina and Virginia, uh, I think that they're, they're, uh, the, the gas prices have doubled in most of the country. And I see those cities where over 50 percent of the gas stations are out of gas. And knowing that even though we've got this back online somehow, somewhere, we're still going to have delays – I just can't believe that people don't understand how bad this is. And if success leaves clues, we're going to hit be hit again and again and again.
0: No, and this should be a question. Every board should be asking their executive team in critical infrastructure, water, energy, transportation. And they should be asking them, what have we done to prepare for a ransomware attack because it's not a matter of will it ever happen. It's when it happens. Are we actually going to be ready for it? And uh, this needs to be a question everybody is asking their team to produce. What are our vulnerabilities? What, What could happen to us if a ransomware syndicate got a hold of our systems?
3: Teresa Payton, thanks so much. Used to work at the White House. Now you're CEO of the leading cybersecurity consultancy. Thanks, Teresa.
0: Thanks for having me on, Brian. Take and, care. Be safe out there.
3: Absolutely. And you can follow her at Tracker Payton, P-A-Y-T-O-N. Uh, back in a moment with your calls. you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669.
2: Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. From
8: the Fox News Podcasts Network, I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of the Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech podcast. Subscribe and listen now
2: by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: Dr. Fauci, please help us with the mask situation. I know we're told we can wear it outside, we don't have to wear it outside, but I'm telling you, I was in New York, where I live, walking down the street, I just stopped a random lady, and I said, have you been vaccinated? She said, yes. I said, me too, why are we wearing our mask? She goes, I don't know. I mean, because right. I think we all feel, and I said, me too, ma'am, me too. I think we all either feel guilty, or we feel it's not time, or we see everybody else doing it, it's monkey see, monkey do. Is it, it, do you really think it's okay? Because I still feel judged. I feel I, people are giving you the side eye. It's not no, comfortable, Dr. Fauci.
9: We, I know, yeah, we've got to make that transition. If you are vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask outside. We a very unusual situation. If you were going into a completely crowded situation where people are essentially falling all over each other, <laughs> then you wear a mask. <laughs> but any other time, if
2: you're vaccinated
9: and you're outside, put aside your mask. You don't have to wear
0: it. Okay, people are still judging.
3: (sighs) It just drives me nuts. He should have said that eight months ago, made it clear instead of waiting for the question to come up on CBS in the morning, which no one watches on the networks comparatively. And Anthony Fauci says, don't wear it. You shouldn't wear it, period. We already were told you can't transfer it. You can't give it to somebody. The chances are infinitesimal of you carrying around the virus once you've been vaccinated. We can't live our lives worried about the 0.001%. And we should not be wearing them indoors either. If I am sitting indoors with vaccinated people like I just watched McCarthy, um, Mitch McConnell, the president, Pelosi, and Schumer— All vaccinated, all wearing masks. Makes no sense. John Kerry wearing a mask with people 100 feet away from him. Everybody vaccinated in Washington. Staffers on down should not be wearing a mammoth mask over his mammoth face. Wrong message. We have slowed down to 2 million shots a day. We're at over 3 million around the country. Why are we slowed down? Because what's the difference in my life? You guys are all over the place. Anthony Fauci should stay off television, and Joe Biden should be a leader. You're my epidemiologist. You're not my. Uh, you're not my spokesperson. Step back. If he wants to be on television, get him a show, but give up the smock. Tom WOKV in Jacksonville. Hey, Tom. Hey, how you doing, there, Brian? What's on your mind? Hey,
9: listen. I just wanted to comment on these cyber attacks. Uh, these are nothing new. They've been happening. Uh, THEY USUALLY KEEP THE PRICES DOWN SO THEY'RE JUST PAID OFF AND and LET to GO AWAY. BUT IT'S LIKE EVERYTHING ELSE IN THIS COUNTRY TODAY. AS LONG AS WE GO WITH POLITICAL CORRECTNESS, WE'LL NEVER BEAT THIS. IT'S JUST A WAY FOR PEOPLE TO MAKE MONEY OFF OF IT. THE ONLY WAY YOU CAN WIN A WAR IS YOU HAVE TO MAKE SURE THAT YOU KILL PEOPLE. IF YOU'RE GOING TO WIN THIS WAR AGAINST THESE PEOPLE, YOU'RE GOING TO HAVE TO HUNT THEM DOWN AND MAKE THE PRICE TOO HIGH TO DO BUSINESS. IF YOU WANT TO WIN THE WAR ON DRUGS, YOU'RE GOING TO HAVE TO KILL DRUG DEALERS. If you want to war, win the war against murderers, you're going to have to kill murderers.
4: Wars against inanimate objects with other inanimate objects do not
3: pay off. Tom, I hear you. We, we have to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll split the difference. They're in Russia. The GRU knows about them. Maybe some ex-members of their intelligence apparatus work on them and are them. Therefore, the Russians have to pay the price. Not by throwing out diplomats, we got to hit them with their own cyber attack. Let them know we're nestled in all their infrastructure, and let them know by by uh, blinking off the lights in Moscow what exactly we're capable of. These guys, you have one week to rein them in and arrest them, but you can't walk it around just killing them inside the Kremlin or inside Siberia wherever they're they're located. That's what the Russians do. They find their people and they poison them inside other countries. That's just not the way we do it. But you got to get a lot tougher. People have to fear us. We live in a world on a planet until we can really move to Mars. uh, And, you know, we have a helicopter there already, so we're we're already setting the groundwork. We live in a world where toughness matters, where fear, people need to fear you and to get respected, to respect you so they don't mess with you. Right now, politics aside. The way the fast boats are going after our ships in the Persian Gulf, the way Hamas is thanking Iran for the quality of rockets they're giving as they rocket our best ally, Israel, with impunity, the way the Russians told us to stay out of Syria and have the July to stop supplying those who don't want to be governed by Assad, that shows weakness until we show strength. We're in for a world of trouble in this world. Make sure you listen to me at or watch me tonight at 7 o'clock on Fox News Primetime
8: new from the fox news podcasts network
10: my name is kennedy and welcome to my podcast which will i humbly say single-handedly save the world you're
8: welcome it's kennedy saves the world subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com
2: live from the fox news radio studios in new york city fresh off the set of fox and friends it's america's receptive voice Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everybody. Well, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we have Dr. Jeanette Neshwak coming up shortly. Good news: thirty-seven states have cases going down in terms of overall cases for our country. We are at a low. How about the lowest numbers since September? We got about 2 million people a day getting shots. It was up to 3 million. I'm talking about vaccines. And now 12 to 17-year-olds will make the choice, a family choice, whether to do it or not. So things on the on the pandemic front are looking positive. I can't say that for everything. In fact, we have a myriad of crises. Uh, before I get to my next guest, let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's
3: Big Three. Number three only a quarter of vaccinated adults say they'd be willing to travel to a work conference or enter a gym. Only 24% of them would take the bus. Less than half would be willing to rent a car alone. Only 34% would go to a party. Just 17% of them would dare to take a cruise. <laughs> it's crazy, right? COVID. Dr. Fauci is finally letting us take the mask off outside. Isn't that great? It's a privilege. Yet many Americans who have been vaccinated for COVID are more afraid of going out than non-vaccinated. What's going on in America? Why? Because we're getting so many mixed signals from the people who are supposed to be in charge and know.
7: Number two. But I think we can have a deal. And there are ways in which we can pay for this without just putting the entire burden on working class and middle class people.
6: And I think the first step is obviously to define what infrastructure is. And we, all think, all agreed to work on that uh, together.
3: (laughs) I'm kind of optimistic. Working together, kind of. Republicans and Democrats might be able to do a deal on infrastructure, but which party needs the money and needs the deal more? And get this, now President Biden plans on building the wall. Want to know why? Uh, It worked, maybe?
5: Number one. Does it suddenly feel like the external world is turning on you guys or or that you suddenly are juggling a lot more crises or, or any concern about that? That's what we're made for here.
3: We'll find out, won't we? That's Jen Psaki, of course. Is he up for the challenge? Multiple crises uh, 114 days into the Biden presidency. Inflation, cyber attacks, gas shortages, southern border invasion, rockets flying between Israel and Hamas. Is Biden up for this challenge? Before I ask my next guest, let me pause.
2: And now it's time to clear the airwaves for this week's host of Fox News Primetime. I turn on my TV
11: and
3: there you are in primetime, 7 p.m. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Fox News Primetime. The
2: hardest working man in show business. I want to talk about something, which
11: is Brian Kilmeade's boundless... Ambition.
2: It knows
11: no bounds. You do three hours of television every morning, and then you do what, three hours of radio every day? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's not too much?
3: Never. (laughs) I still got that series, What Made America Great. And then you've also got the books, right? Got a brand new rolling out in the fall. And there's still room for more. Back in the primetime seat, can you do some more things? I think
11: it's an hour in the afternoon. You're not doing anything.
10: Brian, is your hobby working? I'm
2: the bk broiler is all gas no brakes does it occur to you that perhaps
11: america might get a little tired
2: (laughs) (laughs) the beast of broadcasting the slayer of sleep you can live on three hours of sleep a night three and a half and the top dog of television brian kilmeade Oh, and the anchor of Fox News Sunday is here, too. My agent says
11: to me, you are the highest paid person in television. I say, well, I don't make as much money as Brian Kilmeade. He says he does 30 hours a week. You do one. Do it per hour.
3: Chris Chris Wallace. Well, uh, uh, Eric, that was more about me. You're creating tension. That was a salute to me, Chris. I'm embarrassed by my staff again.
11: Well, I, I'm a little embarrassed too. That was all about you. But I somehow have a feeling that after last week, you'd said to them, "Look, enough of Chris. We need to focus on me. I'm the big guy." And in addition, you are doing. I mean, it's it's a little bit like it's like a, a kill need pandemic. You're spreading. There are variants of kill spreading all over the world. I see you in the morning. I listen to you on the radio. I see you now. It's at, in seven o'clock at night. Like. Gosh, there, is there no stopping you?
3: Well, I did not do Fox & Friends this morning, but I am doing Outnumbered.
11: Oh, I was going to ask you, why didn't you do Fox & Friends this morning? Because I noticed that you weren't on.
3: Well, a couple of things. They don't really like when I do both, but I I don't like being uh, off. And I'm up anyway, just have to get up like an hour and a half earlier uh, to do the radio show. Because you got to prepare for the radio show. So, uh right. But today, I yeah, so I thought... I thought, you know, they don't like when I do the morning show and do the nighttime show. So I said, why don't I just go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? We went back on the on our our same couch on Wednesday. I wanted to be there for that, but then I'm going to do outnumbered today, and then on Friday, really focus to end with a flourish at seven. Because
11: this is really all about you. I don't know. No, it's about the channel. Like it when you who doesn't like it when you do. Fox and Friends, and then Fox News Primetime. Is it one of the shows that doesn't like it, or is it the bosses on the second floor?
3: Don't know. It's one of these things where, and by the way, that shows you are a true journalist because I did not know I left that out there. I, I wasn't thinking, knowing that that was that. I'm not going to create any controversy. All I heard is, well, I could still do the morning show. They say, no, no, you don't have to do the morning show. Just just do the 7 o'clock. And then Does this it occur time. To you?
11: This could be the. Uh, they might be sending a signal.
3: No, I didn't. Not until you brought it up, actually.
11: I mean, Will Kane was very good on the show this morning. I actually thought he was superb.
3: Really? Like, What did you like about him? <laughs>
11: it wasn't you.
3: <laughs>
11: <laughs> so, all right. no, I'm just teasing. You know I love you. Right. You know I think you're great. Uh, you're. Uh, anyway, it is a little crazy, though. I mean, so you're doing – I'm, I'm trying to do that. I knew math wasn't included. Seven hours – Of TV and radio in a single
3: day. Yes. Listen, it's a big, we, Chris, we always say this. It's a big gym, right? I mean, I've seen, I've seen you do stuff all over the channel constantly. You're going to be on all, like you're going to be on five shows on Friday. Um, We also know you do specials, especially when your book's coming out, you're doing specials on that. You fill in for Brett Baer. You get as needed. My thing is be as valuable as possible as long as possible. Um, because you never know when things are going to change. But I do want to ask you something that you— by the way, how great was it to have David Petraeus last night, the General David Petraeus? I love having—and Jocko Willanick. So David Petraeus, I want to bring you to, I think one of the most underserved stories is our exit from Afghanistan and the violence that's taking place even before we can exhale. As we try to get 2,500 people out— Eighty-five girls are killed at a school's attack over the weekend. The Taliban is taking more yardage by the day. How soon do they take Kabul? I asked David Petraeus this last night. Cut 48.
9: I fear that we are going to look back and regret this decision. Uh, What could happen now and what seems to be beginning to be happening uh, is uh, Taliban further taking control of different territory, uh, some crumbling of the Afghan security forces as we are drawing down our presence. It's really a psychological question. How long can the Afghan security forces hang tough? They have been doing really a very admirable job over a number of years, taking very tough casualties. You cannot say that the Afghans are not fighting and dying for their country. They very much are.
3: And how many more will, and when the Taliban are back, is that a major loss for America? What are your thoughts? When you, you talk to more military people than I do inside Washington, you're there. What do you think?
11: Well, I, when the president announced or was about to announce that he was pulling out of Afghanistan and would be out by 9-11, the 20th anniversary, and it wasn't going to be conditions-based, we were just going to pull out, I talked to a top White House official, and I asked this precise question, about well, what happens to the people who are there if the Taliban takes over? Specifically, what happens to the women and girls who have, for the last 20 years, been able to get an education, been freed, been out out of the burqa if they want to be, uh, and are now going to be put back in? And this official said that's a big concern, but it is not a reason to keep U.S. troops there. The domest- and and specifically the domestic problems in Afghanistan are are not a reason to keep thousands of U.S. troops there. Uh, the problem is they're, they're, they're presenting it as a kind of a binary choice. Either we keep the troops there to save the women or we pull them all out and the hell with the women. And I don't think that's really the choice that faces us because I think with a really small footprint there, uh, maybe 2,500 troops. Remember, we've been in Korea since 1952. We've been in Germany since... 1945 you know with a real small footprint you can maintain that kind of protection really not put americans in danger on the front lines and also save the lives of people that have cooperated with us and 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 women because the u.s is there which i think puts a certain limit on what the taliban's going to do now it's the wild west and i fear that exactly what you and uh, general Petraeus were talking about is what's going to happen
3: do we go back do we go back in uh, when the Taliban go in? Do we leave our embassy there? Do we staff it? We didn't well, staff we, it when no, the we're Taliban we, were in control. We didn't staff it the, since the Russians were there, the Soviets.
11: No, but but the, they have said that we're going to keep a military presence in, to, to, you know, a very small presence to keep the Marines in the embassy. But your point is well taken, which is, you know, if the Taliban takes over Kabul, are we going to keep a, a military presence there? Are we going to, you know, create another Tehran hostage crisis? Um, you know, I know. know, look, it, it's clear that putting 20,000 troops in, 100,000 troops hasn't stopped the Taliban. You, you know, using your phrase has gained yardage, even when we've had a much bigger footprint there. But I'm not sure that taking everybody out is the answer. Uh,
3: I, I think I know you believe when we're off air that it's a mistake. And, and the thing is, President Biden has cover. He has political cover because Donald Trump wanted to do the same thing. And but most people in the know have a real understanding of the area. So the huge benefit we had by having a presence from intelligence uh, and while keeping you know a foot on the ground and an eye on would be terrorist at terror activities. they promised the Taliban not to let al Qaeda come back. They're already back, along with the a sect called ISIS still there. And what makes you think they're not going to come back? I, I just can't believe we're doing it, and I know this is going to be a headline when the Taliban take over, and they're going to say, what was Joe Biden thinking? Well, everybody's telling him, just keep a presence. He decided to extend two weeks. That's it. And evidently, this guy, General Scott Miller, is extremely impressive. He's been there since day one. Now he's a general and in charge. He could be the guy to reverse course and maybe keep a presence there. The other major story is John Kerry. He was brought on another story I want you to comment on, I should say. He was on Capitol Hill wearing a mask for no reason. It's an enormous mask. And he was asked about uh, Foreign Minister Zarif saying that he got intelligence that the Israelis had struck Iranian forces in Syria hundreds of times. Listen to John Kerry call basically Zarif a liar. Cut 49.
6: Did you provide information to Mr. Zarif on Israeli operations against Iranian-backed terrorists during or following your tenure as Secretary of State?
7: On no occasion. Never. Never. That didn't happen, end of story.
12: Um, when you guys met with Zarif, um, when you were talking about U.S. foreign policy, would you advocate uh, for your position on policy? Uh, the only time I didn't advocate for my
7: position, I, uh, th- when I met with him, during the period of time I met with Zarif, w- we were in the agreement. From the time the, uh, uh, President Trump pulled out of the agreement in May of 2018, And I don't recall having another conversation with Zarif after
3: that. Well, Lee Zeldin said, I saw you talking to him. He goes, yeah, we might have had a beer. It was, to me, John Kerry could not remember last year, but he could remember 2018 well. But he couldn't remember. I just thought he came off terrible yesterday from what I saw. I know he's a Uh, green czar now and not the secretary of state, but his actions over the last four years, I think, were reprehensible. And I I believe Zarif was talking to a documentarian. And that leaked out ahead of time.
11: I know, but why are we believing Zarif, for God's sakes? I mean, Kerry, look, if Kerry lied, it's on him. I don't know that he was under oath in that hearing, but, but you know, that's bad to lie to Congress, and if he did, that's despicable, and they should really, uh, you know, go after him. But he was absolutely categorical that he never gave classified information to Zarif about Israeli attacks, and I never have understood this story in the first place. You don't think the, the Iranians know if they're being attacked? I mean, it's like, oh, let me tell you, Brian, your house was bombed. Well, you know your house was bombed because you were, you're, you were in the house when it was bombed. So I've never understood what this classified information that, that uh, Kerry supposedly gave to Zarif. Right. Lord knows. And if they were doing it, who else would be doing it except the Israelis?
3: Well, we don't know. Uh, there'll be a lot of people. There's a lot of terror activity there that don't like the Iranians. Uh, Chris, who do you have on? I have I heard conflicting reports about guests.
11: What were the, your conflicting reports? I'm I'm curious to hear this. Um,
3: well, I was just trying to create drama. Um, oh, okay. you, yeah, well, we, I'm
11: sorry. You no. you t- yeah. We have well, we're going to have Liz Cheney on. Uh, nice. And we 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 think we're going to have some other people on. We know we're going to have some other people on as well, but. Uh, Liz Cheney, uh, you know, aw- awfully interesting what she's doing. And I guess I don't quite understand the end game. You know, look, if she wants to criticize Donald Trump, that is certainly her privilege. I can, on the other hand, understand where House Republicans who are so close to taking back the House would say, you know, instead of picking off the scab about divisions inside the Republican Party, how about we go after Joe Biden? on something that we're completely agreed on and particularly as a member of the leadership, why don't we focus on what we're agreed on, not what, what, what divides us. And the other thing I don't get is if Liz Cheney thinks that she is going to take this party back from Trump and pro-Trump forces, I think she's um, got, got quite a challenge ahead of her. And we'll be discussing all of this on Fox news Sunday.
3: She's as tough and smart as anybody in Capitol Hill. So you know, she's obviously not going to be intimidated, uh, uh, by, uh, by anybody, she's shown that. So, Chris Wallace, I look forward to that interview. You just gave me both. I think both. she might be
11: intimidated by me. I and I, I actually do. She, she's, she's been on uh, your she's panel.
3: She's your. She's been in your green room. Forget <laughs> why, it. Why?
11: Why? Why? Why are you treating? Why? <laughs> Don't dismiss this. I was trying to build up some drama. For All right. The show.
3: <laughs> Thank you, Chris Wallace. Always great. Appreciate it. All right. Sorry, and this and was mostly about me. me. <laughs> Back in a moment. This is the Brain kill Me show.
8: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: America's listening to Fox News. If you're
10: interested in it,
2: Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
10: Well, if he was being interviewed by a journalist, they would have asked, did the NIH, did your specific division of the NIH give money to the Wuhan lab? That's incontrovertibly true. What he's arguing is he's parsing his words. He knows his group gave money. But he's saying, oh, it wasn't for juicing up these superviruses. We gave it for other research. It's sort of like the Planned Parenthood argument. Yes, we give taxpayer money to Planned Parenthood, but it's not for abortion. Dr. Fauci's arguing, yeah, we gave it, you know, the NIH and my group specifically gave it to the Wuhan lab, but they weren't supposed to be juicing up viruses. The money is...
3: Yeah, those are the real issues. And Rand Paul on Fox & Friends answered... Dr. Fauci on CBS this morning. And what the thing is, he doesn't understand. And what Dr. Fauci keeps his calm and says, well, that Rand Paul is, just doesn't like me. No, you don't understand. Just to answer his questions. Your inconsistencies on masks, on distancing, on your willingness to do interviews with anyone that asks, especially if it's a left-wing network and just rant and roll and almost do uh, medical jazz. Just skate around and scoot around and affect everybody's lives. But yet he's never put on a lab coat and go in and come up with facts and figures looking at data. And the origins of the virus is what we should be focusing on at this point with numbers going down. He doesn't answer the questions. It is not personal. When we come back, I expand on this with Dr. Jeanette Neshwad, a Fox News contributor. She's been all over this, treating a lot of patients and seeing death and destruction with this pandemic. We'll find out what she thinks
8: it's the hammer time podcast fox news channels bill hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day find hammer time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com america's
2: listening to fox news radio that makes you think this
12: is the brian kilmeade show I think we should start lifting these restrictions as aggressively as we put them in. We need to preserve the credibility of public health officials to perhaps re-implement some of these provisions as we get into next winter if we do do start seeing outbreaks again. I think the only way to earn public credibility is to demonstrate that you're willing to relax these provisions when the situation improves.
3: Uh, That's true. Uh, That is one thing that Dr. Scott Gottlieb has said. As smart as he is, he understands the American people and lifestyle. And if you keep on saying, uh, "I want you to do this," "I don't want you to do that," "I don't want you to go to work," "I don't want you," to, "I want you to wear a mask," "I want you to stay from distance," "I want you to take uh, to go to school at home," and you never ever dial it back as the numbers go down and the vaccinations roll in, no one's going to pay attention. Should everything ramp up again? Plus, we burn out. Dr. Jeanette Neshwad uh, is with us now, Fox News Medical Contributor, Family and Emergency uh, Medicine Doctor. She's seen coronavirus up close and personal uh, and all the horrors it brings and the realities behind it. Dr. Neshwad, welcome back.
1: Hey, good morning, Brian. Thank you.
3: So you understand what Dr. Skakalib is getting at. And he also went on to say, in San Francisco, the numbers are so low, try it there. Tell everyone in San Francisco, take your masks off. We're going we're to monitor your numbers. And, and then tell the rest of the country you can do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree with Dr. Gottlieb. Look, if you want compliance, we need common sense measures. If you are outdoors, you don't need to wear a mask. If you are fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask. Um, That is the whole purpose of getting your vaccine is so that we can resume a normal lifestyle, not wear a mask around other people that are fully vaccinated. So it's a matter of common sense safety precautions, and get yourself vaccinated so that we can return to normal sooner than later.
3: So I, I watched uh, all the leaders, the big four and the president in the, in the Oval Office yesterday, all wearing masks. Why? They're all vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Every staff member is yeah. vaccinated. Uh, doctor, why are they wearing masks?
1: Well, OK, so if they're fully vaccinated in a small crowd, it, it's it's not Recommended by the CDC, it's not necessary. But if you really want to get technical, Brian, you, there is about a five percent chance that you could still pick up COVID and pass it to others. Um, you know, Pfizer's ninety-five percent, uh, Moderna ninety-four, Johnson and Johnson seventy-two percent. So I can understand. You know, in their older age population, they want to take extra measures. That's fine, but it's not necessary. And you know, that's the whole purpose of getting vaccinated is so that you don't have to wear a mask. Well,
3: so wait a second. So because there's a, would you say is a 5% chance of spreading it or getting it, that we have to wear masks forever then?
1: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So so why why would we wear them at all? Exactly. That's why I'm saying maybe that's the only reason why they're wearing them is because of that 5% or maybe they're trying to, you know, put on a a, a positive show for the rest of us. But it's not necessary. You don't have to do it. And when they take off their mask, it gives us the rest of the world in America. It shows us as an example. Look, get vaccinated. You don't need to wear your mask. Just use common sense precautions. That's really probably what the best message would be.
3: So, Dr. Nishwad, I, I guess we all got polio vaccine. What are some of the universal vaccines that most people listening to us now got when they were kids?
1: Sure. So polio, measles, mumps, rubella, hepatitis, love so many, tetanus.
3: God. Okay, so um, let's say there's 10. Those yeah. Those numbers, the chance of me getting measles and polio after, those are actually, there's more of a chance of me getting them according to the, the vaccine percentage than me getting the coronavirus you're absolutely correct absolutely so i'm not worried about polio today i'm not worried about measles yeah. there's a chance i'm going to get it but yeah. right
1: yeah you're, you're absolutely right um and, and i see your point but you know this being a new virus that's killed 600,000 Americans. You know, we have the vaccine out there. It's one of our ways to be able to, you know, enjoy going to parties and concerts in crowded areas. And and I think we're getting there, uh, Brian. I really do think this pandemic is winding down. And, you know, with the amount of vac- Americans that have been vaccinated, plus those who have natural uh, immunity from prior infection, um, you know, I haven't diagnosed a case of COVID in a week and a half. I haven't seen it. It's 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 almost gone, knock on wood. Um, But, you know, the purpose of continuing the vaccinations is the variants because we can't have pop-ups like we see in in India, in Brazil, um, in in Mexico. But I think we'll never have another outbreak like we saw here in the epicenter of of the world here in New York because we are aggressively vaccinating.
3: All right. 37 states have decreasing numbers. We have September lows nationwide. We're now below 40% in total cases. Uh, deaths are down in the, in the over the last two weeks uh, substantially, yeah. as long as with hospitalizations and you see the hospitalizations and the deaths. So no one has explained explain the reality of this. So having, having said that we're reading like, for the example, the Yankees had three coaches test positive for the virus, even though they got vaccinated. And I'm wondering Everyone's wondering why are we testing vaccinated people?
1: It, well, you shouldn't unless they're symptomatic. And I believe they got Johnson and Johnson, which is only seventy-two percent effective um, in preventing the vaccine, but uh, you know highly effective against death and severe complications and hospitalizations. So it could be also that those that those three that tested positive, um, maybe they it was uh, before the two weeks. Remember, it takes two weeks for it to actually work. And again, Johnson and Johnson is only seventy-two percent. Um, it's not 100 percent. No vaccine is. But you should not be tested if you have no symptoms. If you are fully vaccinated and you come into contact with someone that tested positive for COVID or you were exposed, you don't need to be tested. You don't need to quarantine unless you start having symptoms. Then go get tested and use common sense precautions.
3: So are you how much are you focused? I know you work every day to treat people with mm-hmm. it and make sure they mm-hmm. don't have it. How much do you care about the origins of the virus?
1: Uh, that that's a good question I, I i think it's important to understand where it came from to make sure that if there was any human error involved in the the spread of this uh, this virus that it doesn't happen again but right now my my main priority and focus is keeping my patients healthy and encouraging them to get vaccinated um, that that's my main uh, uh, goal and focus right now but i think it is important to know the origin of this virus um, we believe it is a zoonotic virus that' You know, originally uh, came from an animal, transferred to human, and then human to human. But was that virus modified and manufactured? You know, we can we shouldn't speculate. Um, investigations will tell us that. But I think um, knowing if there was any human error um, is important and is inc- is critical to avoid future potential pandemics and pathogens from becoming more lethal and from spreading. We, you know, we really need to be fully aware to avoid a future recurrences like we saw this past
3: year. So I want you to hear a little bit more from Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who you know knew the risks and was trying to be the canary mm-hmm. in the coal mine early, like yourself, got 24.
12: hmm If you've been vaccinated with the mRNA vaccines or the J&J vaccine, your risk is very low from having a bad COVID outcome. And your risk of getting an asymptomatic infection that you could spread to others is also substantially reduced. The data now does support that. So we could start drawing some firm conclusions and basing our public health advice on that. You know, there's one model that's out that says that if you were 65 and above, your risk of succumbing to COVID if you were infected with it was around one in 100 during the peak of the infection, and probably a little worse than that at the outset. That same model now predicts it's about 1 in 20,000 if you've been fully vaccinated and you're an immunocompetent person. So the risk is substantially reduced from vaccination. And I think you can sort of conclude that probably your risk from COVID if you're fully vaccinated is comparable, maybe even less than your risk from flu if you're fully vaccinated in older individuals.
3: So what he's trying to say, and I don't know if you're there yet, but because I've been watching all you guys from day one, he's trying to say, loosen up. I know the, uh, you guys are experts, but for the, for the non-expert, medical and the non-physician, loosen up the restrictions because behavior and lifestyle has been not taken into account in my judgment and maybe in his judgment in fighting this pandemic. Because if something happens in the fall and it starts coming back, people are going to throw up their hands and say, you know what? You never told me to loosen up when things got better. Now they're getting worse. You want me to do the same thing? I'm done with you. There's a real risk there, Dr. Neshwat.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's the whole purpose and incentive of getting vaccinated is so that we no longer have to social distance. You no longer have to wear your mask. And we are at that point right now. Um, I think it's important to be aware and know your risk and protect yourself. But at this point, we are at, you know, you know, we've had plummeted number of cases, deaths and hospitalizations. So it is fully reasonable and without a doubt, not necessary to act as if we're still in the midst of, a, of, a, of the you know, pandemic, like we saw 3,500 deaths a day over the holidays. We're, we're far from that. And we need to start acting like that. What does that mean? Go about your normal daily lives. Just make sure you get vaccinated. Protect yourself. Use common sense.
3: Right. It's been unbelievable. Everyone, everyone listening to me right now could get vaccinated. Uh, it is slowing down dramatically. Why they're making that decision, I'm not sure. I feel comfortable, but I'm not an expert. I'm not going to tell you to get vaccinated. I'm going to tell you I did and I felt good about it. I talked to the best, smartest people around like you. And if I there was any hesitancy, I would say it. But here's an example of what drives me crazy. Here's what the CDC director, Walensky, said two weeks ago.
0: Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real-world data.
3: Okay. There you go. So, So do you understand? So with that, I don't think I should be wearing a mask inside or outside.
0: And and
1: I agree. If you're fully vaccinated and um,
3: I can't get it, can't spread it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, the likelihood is extremely low, anything is possible, but the likelihood is extremely low. Um, So I think it's perfectly reasonable. If you're vaccinated, you've done your due diligence, go on, resume with your normal life.
3: And let me just follow up with this. You know, Susan, I know you don't play politics, but you watch it. Susan Collins is the definition of a moderate Republican. She is always the calmest, coolest under pressure She was exasperated with the CDC director in front of her a couple of days ago. Let's listen.
5: I always considered the CDC to be the gold standard. I don't anymore. So here we have unnecessary barriers to reopening schools, exaggerating the risks of outdoor transmission, and unworkable restrictions on summer camps. Why does this matter? It matters because it undermines public confidence in your recommendations, in the recommendations that do make sense, in the recommendations that Americans should be following.
3: So do you understand, not a doctor, but do you understand how she feels?
1: Absolutely, some of the guidelines and restrictions um, were just too rigid and just unreasonable and not practical. Practical children at camp outdoors don't need to wear their masks. Um, The the studies show it's not even less than 10 percent, but potentially even less than 0.1 percent. So I think, you know, the problem with the CDC that we may have seen is the lagging, uh, the lag in the updates and the um, impractical updates. And uh, it's important. Effective communication is important when it comes to compliance, whether you're dealing with mask use or vaccination use. So um, we we may have uh, some work to do in that department.
7: All
3: right. Uh, So, Dr. Neshwai, I just want to get clarity. So when people walk up to you and say, should I go to camp and I'm looking at these restrictions, I'm not going to send my kid. Uh, Do you want do you blame them and do you think that they should revisit them?
1: Oh, yeah, I think they need to update the guidelines that do sincerely reflect data that we have. Let your children go to camp. They don't need to wear their masks outdoors. That's un, un, unreasonable. Now, um, it's also important uh, that the staff members, if that's the concern of spread make sure then the teachers and the staff are vaccinated. Because remember, it's not the kids that are going to transmit COVID to the teachers and, and the coaches. It's the coaches that will transmit to the coaches, adult to adult, not child to adult. And that's um, that's what the data tells us.
3: And lastly, so I think we need to stick to that. for the parents listening right now and the kids, 12 to 17, Send they can them. now they can now get uh, vaccinated. Should they?
1: Uh, you know what? I, vaccines really can help us open up quicker and end this pandemic. We've got 42 million children in the age group between 10 and 19. We've had about a, a 4 million children that we know of that tested positive. That number is probably triple or double. So they can have a positive impact. But I think it's just a matter of having the conversation with your pediatrician. Um, many, you know, I've talked to teenagers. I have a t- teenage nieces. And I said, hey, are you, you going to get it? And she said, oh, I already got my first dose. I said, good for you what made you get that she said because i want to hang out with my friends and i want to have a sleepover and i want to go to parties and i want to be able to do more things so um just think of you know the the benefits of of being vaccinated and remember for almost everybody the benefits outweigh any risk or potential side effects and if you want to get your vaccine you can go to that uh, government website vaccines.org and go to the javits center you can walk in to healthcare centers and and they will give it to you
3: got it dr nish it's been great thanks so much
1: Thank you, Brian. Have a
3: good one. You got it. And you can follow her at Dr. Jeanette, J-A-N-E-T-T-E. Back with your calls in just a moment. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha
8: McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: I uh, will do uh, everything I can to ensure Uh, that uh, the former president never again gets anywhere near the Oval Office. We have seen the danger uh, that he continues to provoke with his language. Uh, We have seen his lack of commitment and dedication to the Constitution. Uh, And I think it's very important that we make sure whomever we elect is somebody who will be faithful to the Constitution.
3: Well, that's part of Liz Cheney being kicked out of leadership. And as Chris Christie told us uh, on television, I think on Tuesday night, she wanted she wanted out uh, as leadership and no one's kicking her out of the party. But how can you lead if you're against the coach and you're against the party? Uh, a lot what the party stands for. So you really had no choice if you're Kevin McCarthy. But Liz Cheney is going to be like Adam Kinzinger, a very high profile guest for CNN and MSNBC. Uh, Bob was here on FM News Talk one in St. Louis. Hey, Bob.
13: Hey, Brian. How you doing?
3: Good. What's on your mind?
13: okay so what you're talking about with the energy grid and and the uh, the pipeline everything else here's the deal i'm a republican i did not vote for biden okay but this pipeline is not biden's necessarily fault And here's what i mean by that the republicans the first two years they had control of the senate the congress and when trump was president and what did they do nothing trump had to sign all kinds of executive orders because they did nothing this country keeps pitting each other against each other. That's what they're doing. Bob, Bob can I, I just can think-
3: I qualify that? First thing he said is he reissued the XL pipeline. He handled the North Dakota environmental challenge. He uh, overcame the protests every day from the American Indian uh, tribes that were there. But what happened is they kept hitting these lawsuits, these environmental lawsuits that were made to slow them down, just like they go after the energy industry. So once he green-lighted it, for example, he had drilling in Anwar. But there was all these other environmental legal challenges that slowed it down. Now he's out of office. There's not going to be any drilling in Anwar.
13: No, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, what happened to the Colonial Pipeline? Okay, with the cyber attack, the government has not been proactive. Our government is constantly reactive for the most part. Cyber, okay. Okay, I'm not talking about the Keystone Pipeline. I'm talking about what happened right now. Okay, and the problem is this. We have got to go ahead and pull together as a country and stop letting the parties pit each other against each other. Okay, we got a problem in this country. And the thing is, we got our electoral grid, nobody's doing anything about it, hasn't been doing anything about it for, for decades. We got the pipelines, we got all kinds of stuff like this that can get hacked. And what do we do? Nothing. This country better wake up. And here's the thing: when you had Bill Cassidy on yesterday. Now you got Liz Cheney that you talked about and everything else. And Bill Cassidy, if I correctly remember, when you asked him what about Trump, he said he'll never he'll never go ahead and get in office again. I don't need Liz Cheney. I don't need Bill. All right, Cassidy. couple of things. Couple of
3: things. You could have a different opinion, be in the same party, be conservative. Number two. You have to have cybersecurity. That should be a nonpartisan issue. It's got to be a focus. It's got to be a priority. No one is saying, I'm a Democrat. I don't like cybersecurity. They just don't focus on it.
2: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on FoxnewsPodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everyone. This is Brian Kilmeade. Show. We're coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We're uh, got a big hour coming your way. Uh, Clay Travis is going to be here. Uh, you know, from Outkick, he can talk about everything from sports and the big picture uh, on down to what's happening in life. Uh, Ken Cuccinelli will be here. He, uh, along with uh, Mark Morgan, uh, along with uh, Secretary Wolf, has done a gra- did a great job at the border. Hey, listen, there were stutter steps. There were challenges. But they tackled it. You know what else they did? They admitted there were challenges. And when I went down there, I was able to talk to them and talk to Border Patrol freely. I was able to do everything except shoot the illegal immigrants' faces. They never said there wasn't a problem. But now, fast forward from 2020 to today, the border crossings apprehensions where they just turned themselves in, let alone the gotaways— are up 900%, and we can't get the president or vice president to visit it. Let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. Only a quarter of vaccinated adults say they'd be willing to travel to a work conference or enter a gym. Only 24% of them would take the bus. Less than half would be willing to rent a car alone. Only 34% would go to a party. Just 17% of them would dare to take a cruise. Uh, That is uh, Tucker last night pointing out how affected the American culture and lifestyle is. COVID. Dr. Fauci is telling us to take the mask off outside suddenly. Yet many Americans who have been vaccinated for COVID are more afraid of going out than the non-vaccinated. What's going on in America? How do we get back on track? Number
7: two. But I think we can get have a deal. And there are ways in which we can pay for this without just putting the entire burden on working class and middle class people.
6: And I think the first step is obviously to define what infrastructure is. And we all think all agreed to work on that uh, together.
3: Well, listen, I'm optimistic after what they said on the outside, but not optimistic when I saw that Kevin McCarthy put out there said the corrupt Joe Biden. I know he's trying to raise money, but it's just not the tone you set in leadership. Working together, sort of. Republicans and Democrats might be able to do a deal on infrastructure, but which party needs the deal done more, I believe the Dems will discuss.
5: Number one. Does it suddenly feel like the external world is turning on you guys or or that you suddenly are juggling a lot more crises or, or any concern about that?
3: That's what we're made for here. Really? Okay, bring it on. Uh, Jen Psaki, is he up for the challenge? I'm talking the president. Multiple crises mount 114 days into the Biden presidency. You got inflation, cyber hacks, gas shortages, sh- uh, the uh, southern border invasion, rockets flying all over Israel and the Palestinian territories. Is the president up for the challenge? We are about to find out. I mean, so many, he just ignores. I mean, what, what, drives me, what I just said is just a, just a— A touch at the top. You talk to people in the construction business, you talk to people, uh, homeowners, who want to put a deck on or add their house or buy a house or expand on their house or improve their house, and they got to buy lumber, they got to buy ceiling tiles, roof tiles, they got to buy sheetrock. The the money the price is going through the roof, and you cannot tell me that flooding the zone with $1.9 trillion of money right after you're writing $900 billion in December and putting that out into the mainstream doesn't diminish the value of the dollar. And that's why the market dropped so precipitously over the last few days. Now it's up about 500 points, but the volatility goes directly back to the president. And what's happening elsewhere, we are being tested internationally, bringing our oil to its knees on the East Coast, along with jet fuel, diesel fuel, and gas, has really hurt Americans' confidence in our ability to govern and get back to our superpower lifestyle. There's just no question. So much is going down. But Jen Psaki says we got this. Cut four.
5: You know, you have these, these surprising inflation numbers, um, the jobs number was much lower than expected um, situation in Israel, the pipeline. Does it suddenly feel like the external world is turning on you guys, or or that you suddenly are juggling a lot more crises, or, or any concern about that?
0: That's what we're made for. Here, uh, we certainly know that, and the president knew from having served as vice president for eight years that when you walk in and you're the leader of the free world and you're overseeing a country that is still working its way through a pandemic
5: and an economic recovery, that you have to prepare, be prepared to juggle multiple challenges, multiple crises at one time.
3: So let's look at these crises and find out what's out of your control. I look at the Israel-Palestinian, and I say this goes right back to Iran. You know, for the longest time, for four years, we did not see much conflict between the two. There were skirmishes. We moved the embassy to Jerusalem, and there was no explosion. John Kerry said the Middle East would explode if we did that. It didn't. We had the Abraham Accords rolling. We uh, decided that Saudi Arabia was the lesser of two evils. We supported them because we didn't want to give the Houthi rebels, supported by Iran, control of Yemen right on the doorstep of Saudi Arabia. They understood that. They asked for help. We gave it to them. Then when trial Trump gets unelected, Joe Biden comes in and says, yeah, I'm not supporting uh, Saudi Arabia, and Iran gets bolstered, immediately Saudi Arabia has to go into talks. talk. So instead of recognizing Israel's right to exist, like Bahrain, uh, like uh, Sudan— uh, like the United Arab Emirates and who joined Egypt and Jordan, recognizing Israel to be a great trading partner, a potential trading partner, and recognizing their right to exist. The Abraham Accords have been undone. That gave the impetus for Hamas to get the Iranian rockets and start rocketing Israel. The inflation booms. Don't tell me that President Biden putting 1.9 trillion on pure party-line status into the mainstream, having all these Americans refuse to work because they get paid more money not to, have don't doesn't inflate, uh, diminish the value of the dollar. Biden's fault. The pipeline hack. That is a series of administrations' fault for leaving our infrastructure so vulnerable. But my goodness, if there was a fear of President Biden, I do not believe, as much as solar winds happen on Donald Trump's watch, I don't believe this hack takes place gas prices doubled that's all a part of it you go and I saw pictures of this gas is 450 in California it was just a dollar 98 in New York and the border crisis raging absolutely directly ties back to blowing up the President uh, Trump's policies at the border. We'll discuss that with Ken Cuccinelli. Mark Meadows was on with Laura Ingram last night cut five.
7: It's been 110 days of marching to disaster. We're seeing the results right before us. Uh, Think about it. We have high gas prices. We have high uh, numbers of illegals coming across our southern border. We have Israel on high alert. And what we have is a Biden White House that is so high-minded that they can't even connect with the average American voter to say, listen, we understand there's a crisis. All they had to do, is plagiarized. I, And Frankly, I wish that Joe Biden would plagiarize one more time of the Donald Trump playbook. We left it there for him, and yet what happens? The American people are having to pay the price.
3: They are, and they, the, the, they see vulnerability they're testing him. It, just like the new kid in school, I wish the world was different, but it's not. They want to find out if that kid in school who seems to have a good reputation of being fear around the world, uh, around the school from his previous school, will find out if he'll fight. We have not shown that we'll fight. And that's it. Donald Trump is the crazy guy in the bar. He's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. But it looks like he'll do anything. He'll break a bottle and he'll cut you with what's left in his hand. He'll do anything to win. And even though you might not like him, you have to respect him because you know he's got the backing of a superpower, the best military in the world, and he's willing to use it. Barack Obama did not have respect to the Chinese. Read Josh Rogan's book, if you don't believe me. He's hardly anti-President Obama. But he did not have respect from the Russians. He did not have respect from China. Trump did. Whether you like it or not, he did. And if people are being honest, as liberal as you might be listening right now, you would know that. They might have thought because, well, wait a second, he dropped that mega bomb on Afghanistan and blew up this ISIS that was manifesting itself in Afghanistan. Remember that? And then he backed up his red line by twice uh, barraging through a series of cruise missiles into Syria. So you don't have to worry about that. Then he killed Soleimani as he got on the ground to to, uh, organize his terror forces inside Iraq. Remember that? That made everyone say, what's going on here? Wow, he's erratic. I don't know what happened to America. But you know what? I don't want to screw with America. Oh, wait a second. When it comes to NATO, you're not paying your fair share? Maybe I'm not going to support it anymore. Oh, you're going to pay your fair share? We don't like that, Donald Trump. He doesn't understand diplomacy. He doesn't understand history. But I am paying more, Germany. I am paying more, France. I am paying more. The only people paying their bills on time, believe it or not, was Poland. Do you understand? Sometimes you just want to be feared. You don't need another friend. But here's why I'm optimistic: because inflation's so high, because we flooded the zone with so many, because so many people are choosing not to work, at eight million jobs are open. President Biden needs a victory, and he needs something bipartisan to get it, because he doesn't have mansion, he doesn't have cinema to jam it down our throats. So he needs votes, and infrastructure could be the votes. And that is why I heard some positive thoughts after their three-hour meeting yesterday coming from the White House. And there's more Republican senators going to the White House today. Here's Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. Cut 10.
6: And I think the first step is obviously to define what infrastructure is, the, the definition of it. And we all think all agreed to work on that uh, together. We're not interested in in reopening the 2017 tax bill. We both made that clear to the president. That's our red line.
3: Not to negotiate here, but you won't find any Republicans going to go raise taxes. I think that's the worst thing you can do in this economy when you watch inflation. Your gas is going up. Remember, gas price today,
12: national gas price, has not been this high since President Biden was vice president.
3: Kevin McCarthy weighing in. Listen, when we come back, Ken Cuccinelli on solving the border crisis. Specifically, the numbers are stunning. And the the decision by President Biden to build 13.5 miles of the wall, they stopped the day he took office. You'll listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. Back in a moment.
2: Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network,
8: download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
6: What do you say to Americans who are worried about the supply of gas and
3: rising prices right now?
7: We have been in very, very close contact with Colonial Pipeline, which is the one area you're talking about where the one of the reasons the gasoline prices are going up. And I think you're going to hear some good news in the next 24 hours. And I think we'll be getting that under control.
3: Yeah, we got some good news, if you call it that. Um, The good news is and I don't think it's good news. I think it's terrible news. The Colonial Pipeline has decided to go back online, and the reason they're going on back online is because they paid nearly $5 million in ransom. And the question is, and I don't think it's really your question, did President Biden know about that? I know it's a private company. they got to make their own decisions technically, even though it has so much to do with national security. But what, what does that say to future hacking companies, or this company in particular, uh, this dark side group that's located in Russia? Congratulations, you made $5 $5 million in five days. Ken Cuccinelli joins us, uh, uh, former acting deputy uh, director, secretary, I should say, at DHS, under President Trump, and a former attorney general of Virginia. Ken, I I think this is a terrible sign. I am not sure the choices they had. They were beginning to go back online manually, and you know uh, you were over in Virginia. The East Coast has been severely affected, but we paid ransom. Is that what we should be doing?
9: Well, you know, this is uh, this is the polite version of appeasing terrorists. And obviously, this was a big hit in the southeastern part of the country, including, as you know, where I live in Virginia. And um, it'll continue to be for a few more days. But, um, you know, this sort of resolution invites more attacks. Of course. Um, so, you know, it, it may make things easier now, but it's going to make them harder later. And the government in this country... You know, we, one of the eight agencies in the Department of Homeland Security that I oversaw was this CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Administration. So, it's um, agency, sorry. And you know, their job is to work with companies to help secure this. But ultimately, the government doesn't own this; um, the the companies do. And so I think what you're going to see is a rush to a lot more cooperation with the government in terms of security, because we do have tools and we do have the ability to secure against foreign and Internet intrusion. And um, uh, that doesn't mean it's ever going to be perfect. But here you've got a company that took a terrible hit. And in turn, we all took a terrible hit because of how reliant we are on it. I think one of the things about this that is so pathetic, you mentioned Biden, is uh, this points up the foolishness of canceling the XL pipeline. We don't need less pipelines, we need more pipelines. Uh, th- that is a form of diversification of our infrastructure, actual infrastructure, by the way. And um, and it, it really uh, emphasizes, and this is a long-term national commitment, it really emphasizes Um, some of our weaknesses. For instance, all our refineries, not all, but almost all of our refineries are in the Gulf Coast area that serve the eastern half of the country. Well, it would sure be a lot easier if there were some in the northeast or in the mid-Atlantic that could take up this kind of slack and be immediately delivering fuel um, instead of piping it up from the Gulf. That kind of diversification doesn't really exist in our system right now, and it is a point of insecurity for the whole country.
3: And not only that, there's no sentiment for this administration to do anything to do with oil and gas or fossil fuels. But back to your right. original point, uh, do you believe that the government has the type of talent in their cybersecurity or CISA to 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 help in this situation to keep these hacking groups located in Russia? China, North Korea to stop the next Sony attack or the next, next colonial attack. Is it just a matter of calling them up?
9: No, you, you use the word help and there's definitely the talent and the ability to help. And, um, we can bring an awful lot of resources to bear when companies are agreeable to that. Um, and I, uh, you know, it, I'll let people's imagination run wild on that, but, um, Uh, We have a lot of capability, but it's all voluntary from the private sector. We can't – no matter how important what a particular company does is, the government can't mandate that they do A, B, C, or D to secure their networks. Um, I'm a big believer in what I call back to the future. Um, Everything should have a low-tech backup. Everything should have a low-tech backup. They should have been able to flip the pipeline over to manual pretty quickly. Um, that was
3: evidently the clearly young, yeah,
9: not uh, something they were capable of doing. Evidently, they got this, not, uh, these numbers to quickly. put it back
3: online, and it's going so slow. They were still doing it manually. So uh, I'm talking yeah. to Ken Cuccinelli. Let's talk about the border. Uh, right now, it is a catastrophe. Have you been watching our channel every day at 10 o'clock? We are pulling out of hundreds, uh, thousands of Venezuelans are pouring across the border. Yeah. And Mayorkas insists, I will not turn around one unaccompanied minor. Ken, if that's the calculus, we're all doomed.
9: Right. Well, no, again, more of the same. They have, This is not a crisis to them. This is a success story. Um, you and I look at the border and we see a crisis. The border communities see a crisis. They see a voter registration line. That's what they uh, see. Well, that's a long. That's what p- this is uh, about for them.
3: I, that may be, but that's a long path because i am not even voted for DACA. Real quick, Ken, how do you feel about building 13.5 miles more of wall?
9: <laughs> at least. Are you kidding? How about we put a zero on that?
3: I um, hear you, but aren't you know, shocked that he did this?
9: I am a little shocked. Um, you know, this is literally the first thing in uh, 4 months that they've done that would do anything to stem the flow of illegal immigration. It is literally the only thing. Everything else they're doing is an attempt to facilitate the speed and efficiency of illegal immigration. It's not which in the our drug day. cartels in Mexico are loving. They're, right.
3: And, Ken, you're right. Uh, There's nothing in our national interest might be in a political interest. Uh, Clay Travis next.
8: Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all
2: the details. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's
13: Brian Kilmeade. Tim Tebow is addicted to fame. Tim Tebow cannot let it go. That's what this is. He's the same guy that he was in Denver. Mm. He loves the attention. He craves the fame. He craves the limelight. And here we are again.
3: I disagree with him. You don't go to the Mets double-A or single-A facility, start baseball 10 years after you've even played baseball. You didn't even play in college if you want fame. What he does is he wants to compete. He's addicted to competition. That's what he is. And the reason why he gets a shot, a lot of it is because he's just such a positive force in the locker room and on the field and with the fans. That's my view. But what about Clay Travis? He's the founder of OutKick. Uh, Fox just bought it uh, now, so he's part of the family, uh, and he's president there. Uh, Clay, welcome back.
4: Hey, I appreciate you having me, Brian. Uh, and I agree with uh, with what you were just kind of laying out there. I think Tim Tebow is addicted to competition. I think he is one of the fiercest competitors there has been, and not a good take. I think that was uh, Shannon Sharp on FS1. I understand some people are making that argument. I disagree with it. Uh, I I think if Tim Tebow was addicted to fame, I mean, he could have gone on and been The Bachelor. Uh, You know, he could have his own reality television show. He is one of the most famous athletes of his generation. In, In all honesty, everything that has been connected to his fame has been connected to sports. He hasn't really started a tequila line you know he hasn't been somebody who's out there deciding like I said to do a reality television show or to cash in on his fame uh if anything he has been uh completely connected to the world of sports and I think he wants to you know sort of squeeze every last ounce of athletic ability out of his uh, out of his pursuit he went to baseball right I mean he could have If he just wanted attention, he could have uh, held on. He could have played in the XFL at quarterback. He could have done any number of things that would have made him a lot of money. I think he just wants to be able to compete at the highest level. I think he's a unique talent, and uh, he's a flashpoint because people believe that he's artificial and fake, and they don't like a lot of what he represents.
3: So uh, a lot of people are saying, well, he took a knee. People didn't like that at the time. And then Kaepernick took a knee. He got a lot of criticism for that uh, because he's an extremely religious guy. I guess he's born-again Christian. And then Kaepernick took a knee for a different person. Didn't like the country, uh, thinks uh, police brutality is out of control, uh, and decided uh, also a lot of people think that Kaepernick uh, took a knee or took to the bench during the national anthem because he got benched. uh, He got benched before that game. We'll never quite find out. The question of race being brought into this now. Why does Kaepernick, who's an actual quarterback and there's a need for quarterback in this league, never get another shot? And why does Tebow, who leaves to play baseball, why does he get another shot? Do you see race?
4: No. I don't don't see race involved at all. I mean, I understand why it's a flashpoint. There's a lot of people who make money in sports dividing us based on race. But I think the simple reason is almost everyone in the world of sports gets to keep and have an opportunity to continue to play as long as their talent exceeds their problems. Tim Tebow has no problems. He's never had an off the field related incident. There's never been an advertiser or sponsor uh, that said, I'm not going to watch the Denver Broncos or whatever team that he's on uh, because of what he's doing in the world of football. Uh, he's also, by the way, switching his position. Tim Tebow was not able to make it as a quarterback because he was mobile and because the uh, the defense is caught up to what he did, which is very similar to Colin Kaepernick, um, you know Kaepernick's problems exceed his talents. And oh by the way, Kaepernick is no victim here. He's made far more money talking about how awful America is from Nike and many of these other woke corporations than he ever would have made as a backup quarterback in his 30s in the NFL. So. Uh, this is not a race issue. It's also not a victimization issue. Uh, Colin Kaepernick is not a victim here. He's maybe making more money off saying America is awful than anyone in the history of the United States, which is uh, certainly in the world of athletics he is.
3: And you know what, Clay? Uh, he's about to roll out a book, self-published, uh, which is uh, something that's going to talk about race in America. People think he's done right. a great you know, thing. He'll never and be he here to me.
4: write that book. Yeah, he also didn't write that book. I mean, you know, I always think it's funny. You know, I, I've written a few books. I know you have, too. The, the idea that Colin Kaepernick sitting there in front of a laptop, like, uh, you know, adjusting or uh, writing any words at all would be stunning to me. I think what he's probably doing is sitting with an author, talking out loud. They're taking his ideas, putting it into uh, written form. And, uh, and and frankly, I welcome his ability, as, uh, as anybody can, to be a part of the First Amendment discussion of ideas marketplace in this country. But I don't think Colin Kaepernick has, uh, has aided the discussion in any mm-hmm. way in this country. In fact... I think he's actually made it a lot less safe for young uh, kids in America because he's convinced them that the police are the enemy and we're seeing murder rates skyrocket everywhere as a uh, as a result of uh, I believe a primary reason is that we're not letting police do their job because of uh, many of the athletes that have been outspoken and about Corey, how awful Yeah, are.
3: the Obamas haven't helped at all. Now they're talking about how racial how they're concerned about their kids when they go behind the car that we don't know that the cops are going to uh, pull her over and and heard Sasha and Malia, which is unbelievable. They never talk like that. They were in the White House. Plus, they're surrounded by Secret Service, so it's not even plausible. Well,
4: Here, also, the data doesn't reflect that that's likely to happen in any way to any child, right? I mean, like, the, the, the there are tens of millions of interactions between police and uh, citizens every single day of all races, uh, and every single year, I should say, and almost none of them end in a violent encounter. And guess when they do end in violence? It's when somebody resists arrest. What we should be saying is, "Hey, comply with police officers," and there will be far fewer uh, is- issues of uh, violence in this country.
3: Yeah. Uh, by the way, his, he's going to a place in with Tim Tebow is by the way, where his college coach was. Uh, he yes. now coaches the Jaguars. That's why Urban Meyer wants to give him a shot. He said, "Try tight end." Evidently, he had uh, two weeks of tryouts and looked fantastic. And they said, "We'll give him a one-year deal. See if he makes it through tra- training camp." Here's a listen of. Uh, a place you travel in news and you travel in sports circles still. So here's Kimberly Martin on ESPN talking to various people in the NFL about this t signing. The skeptics, 50, 54.
5: It's, it's shock, bewilderment, and also, <laughs> at best, practice squad or watch. He might just retire before a training camp. You know, I've heard coaches on, on the Jaguars don't want Tim Tebow on the roster. Nothing against Tim, but it just is everything that comes with Tim. Around the league, people don't think this is a big deal. They see it more as Urban's chance to drum up interest and sell tickets down in Jacksonville where clearly they need to get um, some interest in the squad.
3: think there's some truth to that.
4: Well, look, I mean, we're all in the entertainment business. I mean, if they told you that if you had a guest on, you would double revenue. I bet you'd put that guest on. Right. And you're in the radio business. I mean, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars historically have had major issues selling tickets. Now they have uh, Urban Meyer, who obviously is connected to the Florida Gators. They have probably Uh, The most exciting quarterback prospect in in many years. And Trevor Lawrence now on the team. And, look, I started going to Florida-Georgia games uh, years and years ago when Tim Tebow was playing. Great cocktail party, they call it, uh, down in Jacksonville. And the most popular shirt when Tebow played was a Jacksonville Jaguar colored shirt that said draft Tebow. Uh, So, yeah, I think there are people who are more likely to go watch the Jacksonville Jaguars play because Tim Tebow is on the team. If he makes the team, that seems like a pretty good business move to me. I mean, I hire people because I think they'll help out outkick. I'm sure uh, that, that's kind of the essence of business when it comes to hiring talent. You want to make money off your talent. I think that's likely with the Jags and
3: Tebow. Right. Uh, ultimately, the thing about sports is it's not who you know. It's what you can do. You could be the guest yes. guy. Your, your last name could be Lombardi. Uh, if you can't play, you're not going to. You're not going to even make the team. And if Tebow was so popular, the Mets were to give him a shot. They let him play in the minor leagues, where he was a great mentor to these guys like Michael Jordan was. But there's no fame and glory in minor league Mets baseball in Syracuse. Believe me, I've been there. Max Max Kellerman, who I know you know well, uh, he weighed in on Tebow, cut 55. I do think, while he shouldn't
2: apologize for any kind of opportunity he has because he's really just getting a look right and he should take advantage I do think it comes with some responsibility I will insist that everyone is so privileged everyone should be treated with the same kind of respect and given this given latitude to try to succeed and fail if they might and get opportunity and since Tim Tebow enjoys that in a league that has maybe illegally stonewalled Colin Kaepernick they can't even give him a look maybe Tim Tebow should stand up and say you know what I'm thankful for this opportunity there's some people who don't have it and mention Kaepernick
4: by name I would certainly applaud that
3: why I, do you think Kaepernick wants to play anyway what do you no,
4: think no it's a stupid take look I mean Max Kellerman is a woke idiot who works at ESPN and makes uh, well compensated to say ridiculous things like that but look The better analogy here is, again, going back to my talent, exceed the problem. Antonio Brown got re-signed, wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, after being charged with rape. Uh, Deshaun Watson, 22 different women have accused him of sexual assault right now, starting quarterback for the Houston Texans. And he hasn't even been released or put on leave by the Houston Texans. 22 different women, Brian. Um, And I haven't heard Max Kellerman or any of the woke idiots at ESPN talking about the the privilege that Deshaun Watson is able to engage in, that 22 different women can't even cost him uh, any kind of significant consequences for his job. He's not suspended. He's not ineligible. Uh, There's nothing that has happened in any way. Uh, And Tim Tebow out here uh, trying to make it as a tight end to make a million dollars a year at the age of 33 is somehow an offensive uh, version of the the NFL's uh, unfairness. I mean, come on. This is just, I think, an absurdly ridiculous take.
3: Uh, That's a good point on all your analogies. I'm very curious what's going to happen with Watson, who demanded a trade, and then 22 women came, 23, and then now it's down to 22 women came forward. So does the team fight for him, or does the team sit back and see if he can iron this out? Does the NFL jump in? I mean, I don't know where they go. They were accusers. These aren't legal cases yet.
4: Yeah, I mean, here's what's wild, Brian. I mean, look, I do this for a living in the world of sports. There's been more criticism of Tim Tebow trying to make it as a tight end in the NFL uh, than there has been of Deshaun Watson being accused of sexually assaulting 22 different women. Um, If you want to make it a race-based discussion, the black quarterback is getting a big pass compared to the former white quarterback who's now trying to make it a tight end. Uh, that's a pretty fascinating dichotomy in my mind.
3: Absolutely. And I want to bring it to basketball. I mean, New York, they're kind of excited. Knicks a good first time in like 15 years, and the Nets have the best collection of talent in the league. But for the most part, ratings are down substantially in TNT, uh, ESPN. Uh, So are they getting worried? Uh, Yet I see people like Dave Portnoy say it has the brightest future because they have this big online social media presence.
4: No, I don't buy into it. Um, I mean, I think the NBA can have a bright future in China, uh, which is probably more important to their future right now than the United States, which is why they won't say anything negative at all about China. And they rip the United States to the high heavens. Um, You know, a couple of stats for you. 10 million more people watched the uh, the national championship game between Gonzaga and uh, and Baylor, two religious, you know, private schools in college basketball, than watched any NBA finals game. Uh, the NBA, I think, down 13% this year, setting an all-time low for the number of people that are consuming and watching their product. Um, and I think one of the challenges they may have if you use social media as a proxy is. Social media can be great for watching a two-minute highlight video, but people who watch two-minute highlight videos don't buy season tickets and watch two-hour games. And so uh, I think what the NBA has done is uh, it has hollowed out its overall fan base by telling many of its fans that it finds them to be offensive based on their political views. Uh, I grew up, and I'm sure you do remember as well, Brian, like the idea of the NBA sold with NBA action is fantastic. Larry Bird, Michael yep. Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan – They tried to have a big tent, and now it seems like they are trying to restrict the number of people that are interested in their game.
3: It's very interesting. Clay Travis, great points. That's why you're the founder of Outkick, and we bought it. Thanks so much, Clay.
2: Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
7: Today, I am announcing that next season, season 19, is going to be my last season. So the past 18 years, you have to know, has changed my life. You all have changed my life. And I am forever grateful to all of you for watching, for laughing, for dancing, sometimes crying. This show has been the greatest experience of my life. And I owe it all to you.
3: Well, Ellen DeGeneres calls it quits. Once number one, not anymore. It's time to find out if we need to know more.
2: More to Know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D.
3: So Ellen, with the coming off that scandal, uh, it seems like uh, eons ago, where she turns out it's a toxic work environment. Everyone came forward and said, from her on down, that people treat each other like uh, like crap. Uh, they never able to bounce back, and uh, she's unable to bounce back in the right. She's got about a 1.5, and it looks like she's just saying, that's it, I'm going to call it quits. There was growing criticism about the relationship there, and the American people seem to tune out of her.
14: I will say this, though. Prior, I feel like, to this season, she would rarely take off or have guest hosts, and now there are a lot of guest hosts. Like, I don't know if she really works a five-day week or not, but the few times I go to flip it on, it's a gas host, so I just turn it right off.
3: Yeah, you know, I don't know what she's going to do next. You know, she's got a few of these game shows on primetime. But, you know, when you lose that talk show, you really go cold. If you notice, when you lose that, you really become an also-ran. She was a fantastic stand-up comedian. I don't know if she turns back the clock and does that in this in this environment, but I think it all goes back to that picture with George W. Bush. After that, the series of stories comes out, how it's bad to work for her. My goodness, you know how bad it was to work for Johnny Carson. You read those books from behind the scenes. A lot of those, a lot of the workplaces on these talk shows are full of egomaniacs. Don't look at me, <laughs> uh, and they end up being toxic work environments. But if you get in a four-five, now that's big. Back then, it wouldn't be. They don't care about that. But
14: here's my question. Are things really toxic or are you are demanding perfection right like if you're going to be at the top of the game people can't mess up but yeah are people so sensitive that you say you messed this up it needs to be better it's like how dare you speak to me like that i'm offended it's Uh, toxic
3: if you are you being bill parcells vince lombardi or you're just being demeaning next the 10 highest paid athletes took home 1.5 billion dollars so in the last 12 months 28 percent more last year's top earners and just a few million a few million short of the one .6 Point six billion, record set in 2018. The number one guy. This is stunning. I think he lost twice this year. Conor McGregor, then uh, uh, Lionel Messi, 130 million. Ronaldo, 120 million. Two good soccer players. Dak Prescott is fourth. He's out an entire year. Clearly, I don't think he's a top five quarterback. LeBron James under 100 million. Neymar, another soccer player, just under 100 million. Roger Federer has been fantastic. Shocking. Number 10, Kevin Durant at 75 million. He's been hurt for over a year, just now coming back. Only played about a handful of games. Next, one in three Americans are ready to dump streaming services uh, because of lackluster shows. I'm talking about Netflix and Hulu. That's 70% of the American public say they're, they're done watching streaming shows. That's 2,000 Americans that took this survey. Uh, findings uh, reveal that Tiger King is officially the most overhyped show of the pandemic. I Care a Lot and Shit's Creek round out the top three respondents who watch say they consider these shows overrated. I don't watch any of them.
14: I will say Shit's Creek is pretty darn funny. It's a good, like, quick half hour if you just want to laugh and not think about the world.
3: Ted Lasso is coming back. That I'm happy about. Next. Olivia and Liam are Social Security's, uh, Social Security's top baby names for 2020. Olivia and Liam, from someone who has three kids under four years old, Did you consider either one of those names, Allison?
14: I did not. I'm looking at the uh, top ten names out of the girls. The only one we really considered was Charlotte, but we went with Catherine.
3: Yeah, Charlotte, not for me. I'm not putting down any Charlottes, but Olivia, Emma, Ava, Charlotte, Ava's a big name, Sophia, Amelia, Isabella, Mia, Evelyn, and Harper. For the guys, Liam, Noah, (laughs) Oliver, Elijah, William, James, Benjamin, Lucas, Henry, and Alexander. We got a drought of Bryans. Next. They do. Super Bowl champ Russell Wilson and Grammy Award singer uh, Sierra struck a first-look deal with Amazon Studios. This husband-and-wife duo is extremely popular and attractive, uh, and we'll see what they put out. Because the Obamas got a big production deal, too, right? Yep, they're on Netflix, though. Oh, that's true. Rival Network. Yes. Got to get content. Pay Mm -hmm. a lot of money to get content. Same thing with Spotify. They want to get a lot of money, so they go give $100 million to Joe Rogan. A lot of people say, how are you going to make money off that? Well, that will get people to subscribe. Hopefully, and then listen and or watch. Or subscribe to us at thebriankilmeachow.com. we got a great podcast. Watch me tonight at 7 p.m.
8: Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.